NAD is just so central to generating energy, repairing all the tissues and function that it is intrinsic to the aging process. Collective Insights is a voyage through topics and technologies revolutionizing human well-being. Groundbreaking approaches for a better world and a better life await you. Welcome to Collective Insights. Hey, it's Dr. Nick Bitts. And before we get into this week's episode, I want to talk about one of the most important molecules in your body. I'm talking about NAD. NAD is found in every living cell and acts like fuel for important biological processes in the body, such as converting food into energy, protecting DNA, fortifying cell defenses, and activating key pathways associated with longevity. The NAD molecule is absolutely crucial for keeping you in your prime. And here's the hitch. NAD levels dramatically decline as you age, starting in your 30s and 40s. And as NAD levels fall, you begin to see and feel the signs of aging. So it becomes increasingly vital to support your body's NAD levels in order to maintain and optimize cell health as you age. Enter Qualia NAD+. Qualia NAD Plus is a formula that our science team has spent years developing to help boost NAD levels up to 50%. You see, you don't supplement with NAD directly. Instead, your body makes NAD. And there are certain ingredients called NAD precursors that your body uses to create the NAD molecule. These are ingredients like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen, also known as NR. Qualia NAD Plus is unique because it has all three of these important precursors, along with 11 other ingredients to support NAD production. Simply put, Qualia NAD Plus is the most comprehensive NAD boosting product you'll find anywhere on the market. To learn more about NAD research and to try Qualia NAD Plus risk-free for 100 days, go to neurohacker.com and use code NAD15 for 15% off Qualia. That's NAD15 for better aging at neurohacker.com. Hi, this is Dr. Greg Kelly. I'll be your host today for this episode of Collective Insights. And with me, I have Charles Brenner, the world's foremost researcher on nicotinamide adenide dinucleotide, so NAD, and is the discoverer of the vitamin activity of nicotinamide riboside. Usually it goes by NR, the most efficient and superior NAD precursor. He's the Alfred E. Mann Family Foundation Chair in Diabetes and Cancer Metabolism in the Department of Diabetes and Cancer Metabolism and the Chief Scientific Advisor of Chromadex. His laboratory focuses on disturbances in NAD, the central catalyst of metabolism, in diseases and conditions of metabolic stress. Charles, welcome to the show today. Thank you. Uh, great to be here. You did say that the Department of Diabetes and Cancer Metabolism is at City of Hope, right? Oh. So I'm, yeah, I'm a 100% uh, employee of City of Hope. I'm a Chief Scientific Advisor of Chromadex. Wonderful. Thanks for clarifying that for our audience. So for the audience, we wanted to have Dr. Brenner on today because he is the expert when it comes to NAD, the ramifications of, you know, um, I guess, low NAD or poor NAD pools with 
um, metabolic stress and health. So we're going to do a deep dive into a lot of those things. But before we start, I just want to have a chance to for you to introduce yourself a little bit to our audience. Thank you. Well, uh, just just learned we're we're both uh, fellow uh, New Englanders. I um, I'm from the Boston area. Grew up in in New England. Went to Wesleyan University in Connecticut, and um, and then graduated in 1983 with a degree in biology, and I've been a professional research scientist ever since. Um, I spent about five years in industry at uh, Chiron and, and DNAX, and then did my PhD at Stanford doing enzymology, and I did my postdoc at Brandeis doing x-ray crystallography, like really figuring out how proteins and enzymes work at an atomic scale. And then I've run my own laboratory since 1996. And wow. um, I, I, I'm really interested in, in, in nucleotides. Nucleotides are the building blocks of DNA and RNA, as you know. I think your, your listeners know. But um, there's a lot of other really interesting nucleotides, like coenzyme A is a nucleotide. NAD coenzymes are four different amazing nucleotides. And um, so we've really focused on NAD uh, for the last 20, 21 years or so. And uh, like you said, we discovered the NR pathway and we've discovered lots of conditions of metabolic stress in, in which the NAD system is disturbed. And, and, and then we're really interested in figuring out, do we want to reboost the NAD system in, in those conditions in order to restore health and resiliency? Or in other cases, like in cancer, is there some way that we can take advantage of a disturbed NAD system in order to kill a tumor without harming the person? Wow. So... I wanted to start just taking a big picture overview of what NAD is and you know, some of the, the big picture jobs it does for our cells and mitochondria. Can we start there? Yeah, fantastic. I, 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 love, I love starting at the beginning. So, um, so let's have people think about their favorite electrical device. It could be their toaster plugged into a wall, their electric vehicle, or really anything that has electrical circuits in it, right? So it's running on high energy electrons, right? You're plugged into the wall, there's high energy electrons running, you know, through the toaster to, you know, heat the elements, right? Or uh, electric vehicle, there's a giant battery and it has copper wires and the copper wires are going to all of the moving parts and they're running on high energy electrons. Well, what a lot of people don't realize is that high energy electrons run all living things. And um, the, the energy that we work off of is by eating stuff, right? Um, we're either eating plants or we're eating animals that ate plants. The energy from those plants is really from the sun that allows them to grow protein, fat, and carbohydrate you know, foodstuffs. We then come along 
And uh, we're either eating the plant or we're eating the animals that ate the plants. And our metabolism is breaking down the protein, fat, and carbohydrate and harvesting high energy electrons. Okay. And the, the vehicle, or it's really the wiring um, on which the high energy electrons are captured is NAD, nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide. And so the, the electron receiving form of NAD is called NAD plus. You don't always have to pronounce that plus. And then it becomes something called NADH when it has the electrons on it. And then in the mitochondria, the NADH initiates what's called the electron transfer chain that generates almost all of our ATP, that gives us our biological power to do work. It allows our muscles to do work. It allows us to transmit things through neurons and other cells. It allows us to codify sensations into memories and ideas. It allows our enzymes to put things together. Um, and then there's two other NAD coenzymes called NADP and NADPH. And when NADP captures electrons, it becomes NADPH. And then NADPH is incredibly important because it provides the electrons for two different kinds of things. One is detoxifying free radicals, which is pretty darn important. And two, for um, biosynthesis, for making lipids, for making nucleotides, for you know cell division, all of the stuff that we make ourselves, because we have to make everything in our body. Unless you have a, you know, prosthetic, um, you know, hip, um, you, you've made everything in your body. You've, you've eaten the, the, the food, you've taken the macronutrients, and your cells have broken down the macronutrients into building blocks and built, you've made your own protein, you've made your own lipids, you've made your own nucleic acids. And you can't do that without metabolism, and you can't do that without the four NAD coenzymes. So that's how central NAD coenzymes are to life. They are the carriers and the transmitters of high-energy electrons. They are the wiring of life. One of the things I know it's come up on our show before is the, the hallmarks of aging framework with the, the newest updated one in January being 12 hallmarks. And my understanding is because the NAD molecule is so central to the, all these things, there's quite a bit of you know what are loosely thought of as the hallmarks of aging it interacts with. Now, clearly, mitochondrial health would be you know among those. But can you maybe touch on a little bit of the way that you know I think of it as a hub molecule and metabolism interplays with all these different aspects of aging? I don't think that I think about aging the the, the same way that. That, that a lot of people do. The, the way I think about, about aging um, and longevity of animals in particular is that I think of aging as in large part a developmental program whose sort of intention and purpose is to bring animals to reproductive maturity. I mean, that's what the gene functions are there for. 
when you do when you do mutant screens, right? If you look for really long lived mice, really long lived worms, really long lived rats, you know what you get? You actually get dwarf animals that are mutated in growth hormone signaling in pathways, in pituitary pathways. Like you, you knock out growth hormone or growth hormone receptor or insulin, IGF-1, you know, the, the, the molecule or its receptor. And then you get animals that are seriously deficient in sexual maturation, very small and very long lived. Okay. And so that tells me, and I think it should tell everyone that um, growth, development, and aging are intertwined. And in fact, the purpose of our gene set in large part is to allow us to be born, to grow, to be able to acquire our own food and be able to achieve independence and defend ourselves and then recognize a mate and then successfully reproduce and then take care of our babies until they're able to do all of those things. That's what our gene set pretty much encodes. And then longevity, basically longevity is what I call an emergent property that allows animals. Can I use a four letter word? Sure. I'm going to say to keep their S together that allows animals to keep their stuff together for as long as possible, right? There's some insects, you know, and some forms of life that basically get to reproductive maturity, can reproduce once and they're done, right? And effectively, they have a developmental program and they have extremely unremarkable longevity, right? And then there's other animals that can keep their stuff together for a long period of time. Like humans can keep our stuff together for decades after we become reproductively capable, right? So girls become reproductively capable, girls and boys become reproductively capable in their teens, right? Their mm -hmm. brains aren't even fully mature, right? And um, they're probably at their kind of max in their prime, you know, their maximum physical prowess and maybe sex appeal in their 20s or something, right? If you were to do a casting call for, for, for a movie in Hollywood and you wanted really good looking guys and really good looking uh, women, you know, they, they, there would be an age distribution that would be quite a bit younger than, than, than middle age, right? And, but yet, um, um, women can reproduce up until menopause, which is around 51. And men 
have a sperm count through the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, basically as long as we're alive, uh, the sperm count declines, but there, there, is, there is one, right? And so humans have remarkable longevity, right? And, and that is what's, and that's not, that's not a directly selected trait. See, the thing is, longevity is not a directly selected trait. Cleverness is a selected trait. Size is a selected trait, right? Power is a selected trait. Um, you know, waist to hip width or something is it, you know, is it a series of traits. Height is a trait. Um, eye color, um, you know, vision, every aspect of vision is a selected trait. And that, but having the genes that, that those are, those contribute to a gene set that gets you to adulthood, right? And then it's a very large combination of genes working together that keep you as a, plus your environment, what you eat, how active you are, et cetera, and I'm sure we'll go into to that. Those are the things that keep you as a capable adult, right, for, for either a long time or not a very long time. And then the question, finally, to answer your question, how does NAD fit into that? NAD, because NAD is intrinsic to moving the electrons of life, NAD is intrinsic to all of that. You know, NAD is just so central to generating energy, repairing all the tissues and function that it is intrinsic to, to, to the aging process. Well, and it's what I think really at least um, got a lot of excitement in you know, the broader research community was seeing how intrinsic it was and how supporting it. Um, especially correcting disturbances did translate into, you know, basically healthier animals, at, you know, originally before the human research was to follow. Um, right. And one of the things I know you mentioned it and I mentioned it in my intro of you was that your lab focuses on metabolic stress, yep. which I think, you know, having our audience or helping our audience understand much more about what that means, how it shows up, and how NAD or, or correcting yeah. NAD disturbances can help these animals and humans be more resilient. Yeah, absolutely. It is about repair and resiliency. It's not about magic. And, and, and I think that some of the NAD stuff is misunderstood because as I've explained it to you, um, and I think that my explanation is a very broadly defensible biological explanation of aging that it involves hundreds or thousands of different genes, probably the majority of our genes functioning in all of our tissues in order to maintain function for decades after we reach reproductive maturity. Um, that's a realistic view of aging, okay? And there, there has been some unrealistic, very widely circulated um, views of aging that are, I think, scientifically bankrupt. And they involve 
magical thinking. And the reason why I'm mentioning them to you is that there's an interface with NAD in the magical thinking. So I wanted to like introduce this and then we'll kind of put it aside and then we'll show you how NR, you know, supplementation and NAD boosting really works. Okay. Great. So, so the, the question begins with is aging monogenic or polygenic? Okay. And the answer is, okay. I, I think that the um, listeners to this podcast are pretty well educated. Okay. So I'm not going to obfuscate. And um, the, the obfuscation is that single gene mutations in growth hormone and growth hormone pathway genes can extend lifespan. That's true. But remember, these are loss of function mutations that lead to infertile animals that are not even viable in the wild. You realize that the Ames mouse that everybody is so excited about because it lives for five years. If you try to group house that um, dwarf mouse with wild type mice, it will never get any food. And it will be bullied and it will die. Do you know there are human beings with growth hormone mutations, They're, they have what's called Lerone syndrome. They're very, very small people. There's a very high rate of suicide hmm. in this population. And they don't live longer than the rest of us. Although their cancer incidence is, is, is low. So, so yes, single mutations, single gene mutations, and growth hormone pathways can extend lifespan, okay? But basically that proves my point that the genes that are important for um, getting to size are, basically that proves the point that aging is, is in part, getting to reproductive age is a developmental program, right? Yeah. Now, keeping our, our, our stuff together for decades, that's powerfully polygenic. That's not controlled by one gene. Okay? I think if, if I'm understanding you correctly, I mean, the goal is basically keeping our stuff together longer, right? And right. That, that, you know, that's a lot of genes. It's metabolism, right? But there's a myth, okay? And the problem is the myth was propagated by literally the best-selling book on aging ever, okay, called Lifespan. And in that book, it is claimed that there's a gene called SIRT1 that was discovered initially in yeast as the SIRT2 gene, and that the yeast SIRT2 gene is a longevity gene, and the human SIRT1 gene is a longevity gene, and the mouse SIRT1 gene is a longevity gene. And that confers longevity. And that's why the author of that book takes NMN, and NMN is, a, is an NAD precursor. In fact, it's NR with a phosphate put on it. And it's part of this fiction that um, there's a magical gene, a single gene, 
that would extend your lifespan if you could extend it, if you could if you could get more activity out of, out of that gene, and that and and the author of the of the of the book takes NMN in order to increase the activity of that gene and takes other things that he claims increases the activity of that of that gene and that that is going to extend lifespan. And the problem is that the SIR2 gene is not even a longevity gene in yeast and it's not a longevity gene in mice and it's not a longevity gene in humans and that's not the way NMN works and that's not the way NR works and there aren't dominantly acting human longevity genes and the whole idea is magical and ridiculous, okay? What actually is the use case for NR relates to the question that you asked me, which is metabolic stress. So it turns out that as we go through our lives, as we walk, we're aerobic, right? The, our mitochondrial function requires oxygen. Oxygen, in fact, is the ultimate electron acceptor. These Enter, these electrons that are harvested by NAD, they ultimately, they, they go to oxygen, forming H2O in, you know, in what's called oxidative phosphorylation, where we make our ATP. When life in oxygen creates reactive oxygen species, right? So reactive oxygen species tax the NAD system. We also, uh, you know, more or less need sunlight. I mean, you can live in the Arctic Circle and, you know, have a uh, a winter with, you know, very low sunlight. But it's actually known that there's a lot of depression associated with that. And you can't make your own vitamin D without the sunlight, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, we're circadian beings and so forth and so on. And uh, one of the effects of sunlight is uh, it generates, um, you know, what are called pyrimidine dimers in DNA. So when you have two T's in a row in a, in a DNA strand, it can cross-link those T's. It requires DNA repair. And the course of repairing the DNA, NAD is used. In, um, we love, you know, music. We love food. Uh, um, a lot of people love alcohol, in fact, too much. Um, noise sufficient to produce hearing loss uh, disturbs the NAD system in our cochlea, in the, you know, in the hearing organ of our ear. Um, overnutrition, having too much food in a mouse model disturbs the um, NAD system in, in the overfed mouse's liver. In human beings, so I'm not doing a hashtag in mouse here, in human beings, we've shown that alcoholics have a disturbed NAD system in their liver. And I could give you a half a dozen other diseases and conditions of metabolic stress in which the NAD system is taxed. So why is NR useful? Oh, I, I think I, I got to name three more, though, just for fun. <laughs> Infection, inflammation, and postpartum. There's now seven clinical trials um, that have shown anti-inflammatory effects of NR in human beings. Um, and then another amazing thing, I, which I love because it involves 
you know, women and family uh, health is um, the mother, what I call the mother of metabolic stresses. The mother of metabolic stresses is having a baby. Although I'm a dad, you know, I've, I've, I've been, I've had a, a pretty close view of it, but I certainly don't, do not have the physiology to, um, you know, harbor an infant, you know, the formation of a, of a human infant over, over 40 weeks. And then in one day transition to the postpartum period at this moment of birth, which is called parturition, where suddenly it's an, it's a, it's its own creature. And suddenly the, the, the female body undergoes a remarkable transformation again and starts turning on something called prolactin and then mobilizing protein, fat, and carbohydrate largely from her mammary and her adipose tissue in order to, or sorry, from her, from her liver and adipose tissue to her mammary to generate a biosynthetic program to make milk to provide um, the energy for the, the growing baby. And it turns out that in this process, in a, in a mouse and in a rat, of a, of a new mom, the liver NAD system is highly disturbed. And if you, if you support uh, the new mom with NR, it can produce more milk, it can produce better milk, and the offspring from an NR-supplemented mom develop uh, greater physical and spatial intelligence and capability and, and actually are set up for a better trajectory for life. They have improved body composition and, you know, uh, spatial memory into adulthood. It's amazing. So I just, you know, I wanted the use cases. Yeah. The use cases for NR basically are when the NR system is disturbed, which is almost any time we go out in the sunlight, right. And oxygen, but then also all of these disease processes and inflammatory processes that we run into over time. Well, I just wanted to, um, before we pass that, that study, and I read that study and was super impressed with it, with what happened in the offspring that were fed the uh, milk from these animals that were supplemented yeah. in ours. So yeah. um, one of the things that, you know, I'm sure our audience is somewhat aware, but there's just been a, you know, literal snowball rolling downhill amount of research on, yeah. you know, NAD disturbances, um, using things like NR to correct those. And yeah. I know when I think of, like, personally, I take a product, Qualia NED, that has the NR in it, um, the Chromadex niogen. And in part, I do it because a lot of times the stresses that are going to get us, you know, aren't things we anticipated. Right. Sometimes they are, right? If we, you know, go out to a, you know, like a wedding and are going to drink more. But oftentimes they're a little bit un unexpected. And, you know, what appears to be true, but you could speak more about it, is when, you know, when things get more stressful on a cellular level, that our system will often try to make more NAD to cope with it, but it can only do that if it has the resources available. Yep. So I know for me personally, I want to make sure I always have like a full pool of those resources, so yeah. to speak. Yep. Yep. That's a, that's a, a really good way of, of thinking about it. Um, that, um, 
you know, as we go through life, um, there there are challenges to our to our NAD system, and um, we're we I think that we learned, you know, in the last uh, three four years that um, you know anytime we're you know in a group of people that you know somebody could be shedding virus, right? And um, and um, so your innate uh, immune system does deal with a lot, and, and we've we've shown a very specific mechanism by which um, the you know the the first responder cells uh, have to uh, use the NAD system to um, to fight off uh, you know double strand RNA viruses, and um, we're always. Our cells are always repairing DNA. Our cells are always dealing with reactive oxygen species. And, you know, obviously, you know, they're, like you say, in acute conditions, like if you drink or if somebody is doing cancer chemotherapy and is exposed to, you know, you know toxic agents that are disturbing their NED system, then they're dealing with even more uh, challenges. But there are all of these challenges, and I think that they, you know, increase as we age. Great. Now, one of the, at least the question that I wanted to ask you was, you've been, I mean, doing research on the NAD system, NR, for at least a couple decades. Um, mm -hmm. I know I'm familiar with your work, at least, you know, going back to like 2000, I think, two or five, somewhere in there. Um, mm -hmm. But if you had this, like, say, you know, if you think back, the, the young version of you that just started on this journey, what about your research has most surprised you? It surprises me how much the NAD system is disturbed. Um, because, you know, that, I mean, the NR kinase pathway wasn't in the textbooks, but neither was um, the exposure of the NAD system to all of these conditions of metabolic stress, you know, um, I, I would say that there was an awareness of kind of like the, the ATP charge state, you know, of cells, um, like AMP kinase is kind of a known thing that um, when there's low ATP, uh, there's a system called AMP kinase that detects low energy, and then it you know, it basically looks for fuel. And so that was something that was discovered um, in the last, you know, two, three decades. But uh, largely be because we developed the technology to quantify the NAD system, we found all of these conditions where the NAD system is not stable. And um, there has to be a lot of resynthesis of NAD. And, and it turns out, the most inducible gene in the whole pathway is a, a gene called nicotinamide riboside kinase 2. So for example, you know, when you look at um, heart failure um, in a mouse or, or in a human, um, and you know, this is a, uh, let's put the asterisk on this, ask your doctor, et cetera, et cetera. You know, we're not, we're not getting over our skis and you know, and, and making prescriptions for um, diseases and conditions. But the observation that is a, a fact from, from research is that, you know, during a, a mouse heart failure and, and a human heart failure, 
there is a demand for NAD precursors. And how do we know which NAD precursor the failing heart wants? The nicotinamide riboside kinase 2 gene is the most highly induced gene. So it's basically saying that, um, you know, a, a failing heart is looking for NR in order to restore its, you know, resiliency and repair. Well, one of, um, I'm sure some of our audience is familiar, but, um, you know, I would term it an invention of yours or a discovery was that pathway, the direct pathway from nicotinamide riboside through two steps, which are the, these kinase yeah. enzymes to NMN. And, um, you know, my impression was that's what got people really excited about yeah. NR was. Yeah. The- NR to NMN is one step and then NMN to NAD is, is the second step. And somebody that's taking NMN and thinks that they are one step closer, that's not actually true because NMN is a nucleotide. We used that term earlier, you know, in the podcast, nucleotides have phosphates on them and the phosphates have to come off before they go into cells. This has been known since the 1980s in like development of antiviral drugs, anti-cancer drugs. It's extremely well known. And so, um, you know, NMN basically uh, is a way for cells to get NR. Um, NR is a way for cells to get NR. Uh, but but the, you know, advantages of, of NR is that, you know, it's safety tested. It's really the gold standard um, NAD uh, precursor. Well, and for our audience, when I think of it, I mean, I, I'm oversimplifying this, but I just think of, oh, NMN's a bigger molecule than NR. It's NR plus something. And it's just harder to get that bigger molecule into cells where it's needed, where NR has got a straight shot in. So, you know, it's just, a, you know, it's an yeah. efficient way to do it. Um, yeah. And then it has a straight shot through nucleoside transporters and, you know, and, and, the, and the work that we and others have done shows that um, NMN, you know, has to get that phosphate off and then it goes in as NR. Yeah. And so, you know, and to be fair, because, um, you know, we're using NR in our product and I want to be fair to the people mm-hmm. that take NMN. NMN, you know, from what I've seen, will boost NAD as well. It's just not doing it because the whole molecules getting in the cells. So before we sign off, I just had one more question. Feel free to not answer it if you're not comfortable. But my understanding just from things I've seen you say in other podcasts is that you also take the NR product. And mm-hmm. I was wondering if there was any you know particular thing in terms of your N of one experience, your subjective, like you know, how it works for you that you're willing to share with our audience today. Well, look, I, I feel blessed, you know, with um my life um i i i i i'm a very active 62 year old guy um i do all kinds of physical activities i feel like i'm at top of my game uh, mentally um you know i have to keep up with a 43 year old marathoner um who's my wife in 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 the in the in the house um, who ran a, what did she run this year? A 323.45 or something like that in, in Chicago. So fast, um, you know, and, um, you know, two younger kids in the house and a dog. And so I'm doing well. I, um, 
I attribute, um, you know, my stamina and everything to everything, right? So you get lucky with your parents. Um, you have, in my case, um, I, I think I have a healthy diet, um, and, uh, prioritize sleep. I've been, but I've also been taking NR longer than anybody else on the planet. And, um, I do think that it, um, boosts resiliency and repair helps me in travel, helps me avoid, you know, infection. And, um, I think it's, it, it really is good stuff. Excellent. Well, thank you again for making time out of your busy schedule to be with us on today's episode of Collective Insights. Okay. Thank you. This podcast is for informational purposes only. The podcast is not intended as a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. You should not use the information on the podcast for diagnosing or treating a health problem or disease or prescribing any medication or other treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider before taking any medication or nutritional, herbal, or homeopathic supplement, and with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard on this or any other podcast. Reliance on the podcast is solely at your own risk. Information provided on the podcast does not create a doctor-patient relationship between you and any of the health professionals affiliated with our podcast. Information and statements regarding dietary supplements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration and are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to therein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician. This podcast is owned by Neurohacker Collective.